Good morning, everybody. If you are with us here for the very first time here at the Livingstones Church, let me apologize up front, as this is one of those very rare times, uh, what would normally be a sermon would be better characterized this morning as a family meeting. So if you want to get a head start to the beach, I totally understand that. Or if you're like me, if I were at a church for the very, very first time, and they said they were having a family meeting, I'd be like, hold on, let me get another cup of coffee, make myself comfortable in this seat, lean in and see who's getting excommunicated today. <laughs> I need to share with you my heart and my thoughts this morning, and I hope, as you have always extended to me in the past, your graciousness and listening and understanding. I'm going to read a lot of this to ensure I communicate what I intended in my preparation, and I'm going to go slow and in the candid sharing might take a moment to utilize a Kleenex. Your pastor, me, for the last two years has struggled with the thought that maybe I'm not the guy to take us from where we are now to where we need to go as a church. Now, to imply that I haven't lived with that thought at least a minor extent for the entirety of my almost 22 years here wouldn't be accurate either. In ministry, you live with that perpetual thought constantly. But beginning two years ago, it was different. It was accompanied by other evidences that made me have to consider it and contemplate it in a way that prior, it was easy to just shrug off and dismiss. I know what it is like to lead here with great vision and passion. In fact, it's one of my greatest gifts. When I'm on fire for something, when I have, I have passion in my bones, when I have a God-given vision for what can be, and I'm never more fully alive. And that gets reflected in my work. It gets reflected in my time, my energy, my drive. But I'd say I started to sense a decline in all of that almost two years ago. The clarity in which I normally operate by way of knowing where it is we need to go was cloudy at best. I had some ideas, but honestly, wasn't sure I was the right person to execute them, and the passion and drive that normally comes from such clarity and purpose also waned, and the thought remained, maybe I'm not the guy to take us from where we are now to where we need to go as a church. I'm no stranger to the occasional flare of doubt. In fact, it happens all the time, so I don't get panicked by it. What I know to do is just work through it. Keep praying, keep discerning, you keep working and doing the stuff, so to speak, of ministry, and so I did. And most of you know I have a monthly habit of going on a retreat for 24 hours to give me time to pray, to move into some silence and solitude, and sometimes even accompanied with fasting, so I continue to do that. And once a year, I take a week-long retreat and visit a beautiful Benedictine monastery in southern Indiana, St. Meinrad's, which has become special to me to have a more intense time of participating in the spiritual disciplines. And I continue to do that. And I continue to work, to minister, to prepare messages, to attempt to lead our leadership team, to have staff retreats, to do the work God has assigned me. And still the thought remained, maybe I'm not the guy to take us from where we are now to where we need to go as a church. And if I'm being really honest with you, a lot of fear enters that picture. Like, what else am I going to do? I have two degrees in theology and ministry and almost 22 years of experience pastoring a church. If you leave this, what in the world are you going to do? I talk fast, so maybe I could be an auctioneer. 
I love cheese. Maybe I could be a dairy farmer. I have a sexy body. Maybe I could be a Chippendales dancer. I don't know. But you can imagine the fear that also enters as you consider even the possibility that maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this anymore. And I know too many pastors who get stuck in their fear and they're hurting their churches because they know their time was up and they were too scared to do what was in the best interest of the church because of their personal fears. And I can't be driven by fear. I have it, but I'm not going to give it the final word. This past April, I once again went to the Benedictine Monastery for a week. I even took an extra week to travel to visit friends. Many of them, if you go back far enough in this church, you might even recognize David Wilson, Lee Camp, Jim Counts, Greg Frona, and others. I went to Nashville, Little Rock, Abilene, Kansas City, Peoria. And for two weeks, I determined I was going to answer this question once and for all and stop living in the two years of insecurity and limbo. I was determined to settle this now for my sake and yours. God is either going to infuse me with new vision and passion or he's going to give me peace that I have fulfilled what he has called me to do. And it was during that time that I became convinced that I had fulfilled the calling of God on my life in this place. Meaning, I'm not the guy to take us from where we are now to where we need to go as a church. But I was most definitely the guy that was supposed to take us from where we were to where we are now. But I'm convinced no one else could have done it. And I don't mean that as an arrogantly as it sounds, nor do I mean to imply that it was by myself. It certainly was not. But I am a son of this church. Like I literally was born in this church, well, at the hospital, but the next Sunday I was here. <laughs> I was raised in this church. I was baptized in the baptistry behind me on June 7th, 1981, here in this church. And God could not have picked someone who loves this church more than me or who had the ability to walk through conflict like me and have a particular set of gifts and abilities to see what we could become and how to get there. Vision and casting vision is my strength. I am the guy who was supposed to take us from where we were to where we are now. And for most, it would be difficult for you to even appreciate the journey. If, I, if you would mind, uh, if you were part of the Dahmer Avenue Church of Christ prior to 1996, could you raise your hand, anyone in the room who... If you look around, you see about one, two, three, four, just four of you, five. Yeah, Amy was here before I was. Um, they're the ones to ask about what it used to be like compared to what it is now. And even beyond that, how many of you were here when I moved back in December of 1996 to the radical transformation that eventually took place to renaming our church in 2006? Was anyone there that time frame? Yeah, a couple more. There aren't many. But we used to be an unhealthy, inward-focused a cappella church of Christ. And when Kelly and I first got here, I was a 25-year-old kid with a six-month-old baby, Isaac. We had about 220 people and were in decline, and we had been for a long time prior even to my arrival. And the first seven miserable years, I managed through brilliant leadership to take our church from 200 people, 220 people to about 80 to 100 I'll never forget Easter 2006. We had 140 people show up for church. And Kelly and I got in the car and were so excited. 140 people showed up. Maybe we weren't dying. 
Now, in the midst of that time was a very powerful encounter, not only for me, but for the life of our church. In June of 2001, I did a 40-day fast, a day time of prayer and fasting. And the last 10 days, I went on retreat to the Lindenwood Retreat Center that's in Donaldson, Indiana. And I was in room 207, living there for 10 days, trying not to die from starvation. At the time, as a church, we had plans to move to get out of this neighborhood and to build a new church that was fancier, had a flashy sign, and located on a major thoroughfare like the bypass or something. We knew enough about church growth to tell us you can grow a church like that. But in my time of prayer and fasting, it was clear that God was calling us to abandon our plans to move and to stay here in our neighborhood and to plant deep roots to serve and bless the neighborhood, to go from being an unhealthy, inward-focused a cappella church of Christ to a church that actually exists to serve and be a blessing to the neighborhood we were in. And we did it. Like, we didn't just make a few cosmetic changes, we actually changed the very DNA of who we were. We changed our name to reflect an entirely different identity and purpose, and we grew from those 80 people to 750 reaching out to the neighborhoods to the 42,500 people here on the south side of South Bend and the zip codes of 46613 and 46614, and I couldn't be any more proud. I have never even heard of such a story from Acapella Church of Christ circles. It has been the journey of my lifetime, and one of the things I am most proud of. I was the guy, along with many others who worked right alongside me all these years to take us where we were to where we are today. In fact, did you see what happened here last Saturday with the Ready, Set, School? Did you see that? Wasn't that incredible? Do you know why that happened? Angie Metters and her team. <laughs> but also because of the vision God gave to me in room 207 at the Lindenwood Retreat Center. But now as I contemplate the future of the Livingstones Church, where we are now and where we need to go, I have concluded that I am not the guy who's supposed to take us from where we are now to where we need to go. I have done what God has called me to do, and I have fulfilled my calling. This was my definitive conclusion at the end of my two weeks at the monastery and travel. I came home and I told Kelly, who had been aware of my struggle for quite some time, and she knew the intent and purpose even of my travel, and I met with the elders on May 1st to offer them my resignation. Now prior, I did meet separately with my dad and also Randy Templeton, two men who love me and have known me my entire life to tell them of my plans. So you'll need a picture, uh, Randy and I sitting in Panera Bread crying together at the table, hoping no one would watch us. Same thing with my dad as I try to convince him that I think I'd fulfilled God's calling in my life here. The elders whom I love and continue to say are the best elders a church can have received my resignation with shock, sadness, tempted to talk me out of it, and finally acceptance of my sense that I had fulfilled God's calling and that someone else was supposed to lead from here. A month later, I shared with the staff, and it created the same shock, sadness, processing that I'm sure you might even be doing now. Quite honestly, we have all been emotional wrecks now for the last two months and are really good at emotionally eating together. We're good at that. <laughs> Now, if I might, let me back up to last week and share the rest of the story concerning Janae's resignation. I shared with Janae my intent to retire, as we have worked together for 12 years. And here's what I know about Janae. I knew even going into this year 
that we would be lucky to still have Janae at the Livingstones Church by the end of the year. I sensed that she was feeling that her time here might be coming to an end, even though she never said that to me. And if you know me, you know you shouldn't say that to me. If you tell me you're thinking about quitting, you should just go ahead and quit. (laughs) But when I shared with Janae, she had what the other staff didn't have, and that was just a twinge of personal relief. Relief because it meant that if I were resigning and retiring, she too would be able to leave and it wouldn't hurt my feelings. So in light of my news and to not create instability for a new lead pastor, Janae decided to offer her own resignation. So that's the backstory of her rationale. And the staff and I, after 12 years, thought that Janae deserved to be acknowledged and recognized for all that she has done on her own. And if we announced at the same time or even after me, I would eclipse and overshadow her own. And that's why we announced last week, even though it was lacking the backstory, and now you know the reasoning. I have beat every statistic. Only 5% of pastors will ever lead a church over 350 people. Do you know what the average stay is for a pastor in a church? 3.8 years. So about every four years, a church says goodbye to its pastor and welcomes a new one. And I have been here for almost 22. What that means is almost everyone in this church has no experience in what a pastoral transition even looks like in this place. We haven't experienced one. About 70% of those who enter ministry will no longer be in ministry 10 years later. And as an anecdotal note, almost all of my peers that I was in seminary with or entering into ministry with 22 years ago are no longer in ministry. At least 250 pastors quit ministry each month. I have outlasted them all. (laughs) Truth be told, this is the greatest church to be a pastor in. I love you so much, and I'm so proud of you, and I'm so grateful and so blessed. Let me tell you what ministry is like. I heard someone call it brutal, meaning it's both brutal and it's also beautiful. Thanks, Walt. You get to see some of the most incredible life-transforming stories that exist. You get to walk with people through the holy ground moments that life has to offer. Births, child dedications, weddings, funerals, major life events, and it can be beautiful. But it can also be brutal. You see the most heartbreaking stories that humanity has to offer You deal in the business of sin all the time. You see consequence and conflict, and it can be brutal. Being a pastor is a heavy mantle. Technically, I'm on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time. You carry the collective weight of the life stories and situations happening within your flock. I know a lot of secrets in this room. (laughs) Don't worry, your secrets are all safe. And it's a heavy mantle. Now, the good news here is that I can't think of another church to which to bear such a mantle. The writer of Hebrews even says it in Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. 
bearing this mantle has been a joy, but it is still heavy. And I'm asking you, after 22 years, to let me lay it down. And this is important to me because we're very relational here at the Living Stones Church. Like, even with me, I'm just Sam. I'm not Pastor Sam. I'm not Reverend Sam. I don't wear vestments. I'm just Sam. But I am still your pastor. And this is important because I don't want you to hear uh, rejection. Because you don't go up to someone that you've just been friends with for 22 years and say, I'm tired of being your friend. I'm retiring. (laughs) That would hurt. I'm not tired of being your friend. And I'm not tired at all of being in relationship with you. I love you. I'm just asking that you let me lay down the title and the weight and the mantle of being your pastor. Let me receive the reward for a job well done. Let me be proud of what almost no one gets to say, 22 years of accomplished ministry in the greatest church in the world. I've seen churches where the pastor stayed too long, and they were loved, and everyone respected and appreciated them, but deep down they kind of knew they should probably move on, even for the sake of the church. And they ended up being a hindrance and a bottleneck. I don't want to be that here. I'm not being pushed out by our elders. I am not in conflict. I am not in scandal. I'm in a place that I'm hoping affords me a gracious and peaceful transition. And that is a rare thing, too. So let me answer a few questions that I think might come to mind for you. One is just, so what happens now at LSC? Uh, I want you to know that I love our elders, and I can't think of a better group of pastoral leaders to shape and guide where it is that we're going. As they have always tended the flock, provided wisdom and discernment, championed the vision, protected orthodoxy, and served as a place of accountability, they will continue to do that. They have been working since my announcement in May and are preparing for a smooth transition. And I also need to brag on the staff here at LSC. I have now watched them move into planning stages to determine what comes next. And I mean like without my voice and without me. And they have emerged with their thoughts and plans and shared it with me. And I thought, this is brilliant. Like, they get it. They know how to lead in the daily administration of ministry and vision in this place. And in some ways, it kind of feels like a proud parent who watched their kids grow up. And you think, they did it. They get it. Angie, Meredith, and Jen are amazing. And I am so proud of them. Katie Ring will be coming on staff to serve as our administrative assistant, who will be such a fun addition. I'm truly sad. (laughs) I'm missing just that. Zach Fritz, uh, who is a gem in our church that if you ever get a chance just to talk to him, he's agreed to give up his time on a weekly basis to lead our building and grounds. Jim Waltman will be leading our worship team as Isaac leaves for college. Meredith Waltman will become our director of student ministry and engagement, which will include some of our social media, website, and communications. Jen Paul will continue to give direction and leadership to our children's ministry. In fact, even to a greater level because she currently is juggling many administrative tasks that will now go to Katie Ring. Uh, 
And Angie Metters will be our director of ministries and is fully capable of leading our staff in the daily operations of ministry and pursuing our vision as a church. She is smart, she is gifted, and I am so proud of her. The elders and staff have also been in talks with who will fill my shoes, and I will let them share an update with you about that at a later date, but let me tell you what this will look like. Typically, the pastor who comes after someone who has had a long tenure, and at almost 22 years I have had a long tenure, they never make it. There's just too much of me in everything. That's just sort of what happens after 22 years. It's hard to fight against that. And the only way they overcome it is if they enter and everyone knows they're just the interim, meaning they're only here for six months to a year. There isn't a lot of pressure on them and there isn't a lot of pressure on you. They just serve well, preach good sermons, learn our stories, serve in the transition to bless and encourage. That gives time to find a great permanent lead pastor. Now, if the interim is great, and I think they very well may have one that is, then you simply lift that interim title in a year's time and they become the lead pastor. Second, it also means that I can't be here, at least for a while. It isn't fair to the next pastor for me to sit in the front row and stare down their work and leadership, which I would. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the hardest part for me. I'm sure there are a lot of great churches in South Bend. I'm just not interested in any of them. Because my heart is here. And I love this church. This is my home. My wife Kelly and my daughter Alex plan on continuing to be here. This is Alex's youth group. They both love serving and worship. And even though my calling is fulfilled, we just can't stomach the idea of them having to find a new church because of my retirement. Third, sorry about the snot, I'm trying here. I'm not going to another ministry. I'm in the truest sense of the word retiring. I always knew my ministry would begin and end with Livingstone's church. In fact, some of you were in shock because you didn't think I would ever leave. And in fairness, that is what I said. I planned on dying here and having my body buried in the lobby with plexiglass so you could see me every Sunday, even after death. I don't know what that does to the plans now, but I'm not starting another church in town. I'm not going to be on staff at another church. A church could offer me $1 million, and I wouldn't take it. This is my church. Well, for a $1 million, I might take it for a year, but then that would be it. So many of you are asking, so what are you going to do? Good question. After sharing my intentions of retirement with Janae and her intentions with me, we began discussing what it might look like to take all of her unique gifts and abilities with my unique gifts and abilities and turn around a business much like we have a church. And after a lot of conversation with Kelly and my kids and parents and her on her side, that's the path we are pursuing, but nothing is finalized or definitive. But I'm going to be 47 in a few weeks, the 30th, if you want to put that on your calendars. And if I'm going to make a jump into a new career, now is the time. I will be here throughout the month of August, 
So come next week to hear me begin preaching from everything I've always wanted to say but didn't, but now that I'm retiring, I have freedom to say it. <laughs> right now, all of our elders are going, oh, no. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Thank you to my wife who has supported me and rode through every up and down these past 22 years, knowing exactly what to say and when to say it to keep me calm or sane or just even walking in the right, to knowing when to be silent and let me work it out, or when to say a word that would encourage me, or even knowing the difficult moment to tell me I was in the wrong. Thank you to my children, to Isaac and Caleb and Alex, who also bore the mantle of being pastor's kids, which is not an easy thing in itself. In fact, many pastor's kids grow up and leave the church forever because of the things they witnessed and experienced happen to their family member in pastoral ministry. I'm grateful that my kids were able to be pastor's kids here because you have loved our family well. Today is August 5th, and I'm still your pastor. And I want you to hear from your pastor's heart right now that I love you, and I'm so proud of you. And I'm gambling right now, convicted of my sense of fulfilling God's call, and also hoping that in a little bit of time you will come to, one, appreciate what I have accomplished in this place, but two, appreciate that I retired when I did because a new thing was possible. That probably wouldn't have happened under my leadership. But that with a new leader was able to take us from where we are now to where we need to go. And I'm going to ask this service if you would do me a favor, just the 931 here. I still have to repeat this to another service that's coming in at 1115. And I'd like them to receive this news from me and hear it from my voice. So if for the next hour and a half you could not post anything on social media, or even tell others who are walking in as you are going out, that would be really appreciated by me. How was the sermon? It was great. Just do that. That's... <laughs> Just give me an hour and a half, and after that, do what you need to. We're doing a big thing in this neighborhood and in this community, and we've barely scratched the surface, but I am convinced greater and better things are ahead as systems, Strategies, ministries, events, and relationships grow, and more and more people who live around us come to fully comprehend that our God is crazy in love with them. I love you, and I thank you for the honor of a lifetime.